You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, we're now in week two of a series that we call Conversations. It's a series that we do almost every year. If you're a guest, let me just explain it. The content comes from the congregation. A few months back, a couple of months back, we sent out an email to our congregation and they sent in questions that they would like to hear, uh, biblical answers to about life, about marriage, about parent, parenting, just anything, anything at all. And uh, then we, we addressed that. Last week, Dr. Rice joined me on stage and uh, we had a conversation about the Bible, specifically how we can trust the Bible above all other Uh, religious books. And Josh covered some hard questions concerning the Old Testament, uh, specifically questions about the wrath of God, questions about the judgment of God, questions about Genesis and creation. I think he did a fantastic job. I'm just blessed. We are blessed that we have Josh on staff here at the church. He is the director of our School of Discipleship. And if you missed last week, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen online to that interview. Now today, we're going to tackle one of the most difficult questions that I've ever received in this series in the seven years. Probably is the most difficult that I've been here. Um, And I'm going to skip to the slide right now. Uh, What does the Bible, here's the question, what does the Bible say about suicide? What does the Bible say about suicide? And then there's a spot, the person gave a follow-up statement. Growing up, I was taught that it was considered the worst sin because you cannot be forgiven. That's the follow-up from the person. Um, The easy thing for me, nobody else knew what these questions were. I could have just bypassed. I could have just gone to the next question, and that's what I was tempted to do uh, for obvious reasons. But after praying about it, I just couldn't get a piece about doing that. And I think it's time that we remove the stigma of mental illness and mental health struggles among believers. So we have a question, what does the Bible say about suicide? And then we have the the statement, I was taught, I was taught more than likely in a church that it was considered the worst sin and unforgivable. We're going to try to address the question and the statement and the experience. And they're they're separate in some ways, but they are linked by the subject. So let's pray. Amen. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. And I'll just say, I, I, I sent out, as many of you know, I put it on my personal Facebook, I put it on the church Facebook, and I sent an email kind of letting you know ahead of time the subject. Now, if you're a guest with us today, there was no way to be for sure to get in touch with you, but just hang with us. And I believe the Lord wants to minister to his people today. Father, we thank you for the presence we've already felt of your Holy Spirit here this morning in the worship, in the baptism time. Even in the, 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 as we continued our worship in giving and the generosity, God. And so now I'm praying that you would open up your word, you would guard our hearts, 
I'm praying the Holy Spirit, you would speak, that you would, your words would go forth and not mine. And that you would minister to your people this morning with grace and truth in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So I haven't personally, uh, suicide has not touched our immediate family. We've had extended family. I had a cousin and a great uncle that took their own life. As a pastor for 27 years, I've sat with many families, held hands, cried, prayed. And of course, questions going on in my mind as well during that time. And you know what? I'm not smart enough to do this, but today is Veterans Weekend. This is Veterans Weekend, and I just think it's, it's highly appropriate that we talk about this on this weekend. And I didn't put that together, but you can't, you can't convince me that God didn't orchestrate that because the statistics with veterans just skyrocket. I read this week that 22 veterans a day in the United States take their own life. So it is time that we talk about this from a, in a public forum, remove the stigma, and especially from the pulpit according to the word of God. The difficult truth is that suicide has probably touched just about all of us in the room and in a crowd this side, it's, it's size. It's very possible that some of you have experienced the trauma up close in your immediate family. Church, the last thing that I would ever want to do is bring up those hurts and, and cause those things to come to the surface and, 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 and it cause any undue pain. But if someone under the sound of my voice or watching online or listening to this podcast months from now, years from now, might be helped, if someone might be rescued, if a family, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a spouse, or a friend might be spared from the suffering of this kind of loss, then addressing the subject today is worth it. It's worth it. Again, this is one of the most sensitive topics I've ever covered from the pulpit, so I'm going to keep things solidly between the lines of Scripture. No guessing, no opinions or conjecture. To make sure we're all on the same page and thinking about the same thing, uh, not taking anything for granted, just look at the screen. Suicide is the act of an individual ending his or her life. Many look to the Bible for answers, whether to alleviate their depression or to find answers about what may have happened to a loved one who may have taken their own life. And the Bible may seem silent. And there are church traditions that read things in and add things that cause confusion. And evidently that may be what, what has happened in this situation with this person who I don't know who sent this question in. But look at the screen. Understanding what the Bible actually says about suicide can provide help for those who are struggling and hope for those who need answers. In the word of God, there are several prominent individuals who chose to end their own lives. Some consider the last act of Samson in Judges 16 to be suicide. He pushed the pillars uh, down on top of the Philistines, but in doing so, he killed himself in the process, but the argument can be made that Samson accepted his death to be in a last act of obedience, to be who God called him to be in the beginning and that his death really was, was uh, as a result of sin in his life and the reason he was there to begin with. And so I don't really see uh, 
or consider Samson's death as a traditional act of suicide. Abimelech was a king of Shechem who took power by murdering those who could challenge him. It's a fun time to be alive. He took over the town of Thebes, but the citizens resisted him and he was struck on the head from a woman with a stone and he asked his armor bearer to kill him with a sword so that people couldn't say a woman had taken him out. And that's as close to humor as we're going to get today. So just take it, take it for what it is. That's in Judges 9 if you want to read the story. King Saul threw himself on his sword after his sons died and he lost the battle against the Philistines. That's 1 Samuel 31. King David had an advisor named Ahithophel who left his court to join the rebellion with David's son Absalom. He basically flipped teams and then Absalom rejected his advice of Ahithophel. And when that happened, Ahithophel took his own life. That's 2 Samuel 16 and 17. The final suicide in the Old Testament was that of Zimri, one of the many kings of Israel. He murdered the previous king and only reigned one week before there was a coup. And he set himself and the palace on fire. Now you think Game of Thrones has, you know, action. come on now, read the Bible. I'm telling you, it has nothing on the Old Testament. Now I don't know these, uh, I don't think these stories in particular really help us today. I don't think they're, 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 they're really dramatic and they're kind of, weak. I, don't, I can't relate with any of them. I was never a king for a week, you know, and, ha- and involved in a coup. You know, I don't know about, you know, I was, I was never given superhuman strength and pushed the, you know. So I don't think we'll be diving into those stories today. The only suicide recorded in the New Testament, almost everybody on the planet knows about, even if they don't know the Bible, it's, it's the death of Judas. Most of the world knows the story. He died by suicide after betraying Jesus and he was overcome with guilt. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. He took the 30 pieces of silver back. But by that point, it was too late. Everything had been, uh, begun to move forward and Jesus was crucified. So he, in despair, he took his own life. That's in Matthew 27. So the Bible also has accounts of individuals who contemplated suicide. But ultimately, they did not follow through. Moses... Moses cried out to God because of the complaints of the Israelites in the wilderness. Numbers eleven fourteen, Moses says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. Does that hit anybody today? The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, he's talking to God. Just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me the misery. Now, I have to admit, I can relate a little bit to Moses. Not about you guys. Y'all are great. That's not, not at all about that. I'm doing my best to add just a little bit of levity this morning. Now, we can, come on, we can all relate to these feelings, right? If we're honest, most of us have had similar thoughts. God, it would just be easier if I could go on to heaven it would just be easier. This life was over. These burdens were over. The sickness is over. These problems are over. These bills are over, whatever it is. And I could just go on to heaven. I just want to say that if you occasionally have those thoughts, you're not alone. 
You're not crazy. You're not messed up. You're human. You're a human being living in a difficult, sin-sick world. But if we allow those thoughts to linger, if we allow those thoughts to take root and to nest in our mind, that's the battleground. If we allow those thoughts to creep deeper and deeper from our mind into our soul, if we don't seek help, if you don't hear anything else I preach today, it's about seeking help. Help from God, help from the body of Christ. If we don't do as Paul commands and take those thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10. Those thoughts can become more and more powerful. And eventually those thoughts can even take control of our lives and in the worst case, end our life. Moses was able to overcome the situation and I believe by faith with God's help, so can we. Job is another Bible character who wanted to die and understandably so. He was tested so severely. I'll never understand I will never understand that story. I know I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to, but my goodness. He lost everything and for a long while, God was silent. All he had was three friends, really good friends. Whew, read the story. But in Job 3.11, Job says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? And God would later rebuke him for being in, staying in that state of mind. And Job learned to rest in God's compassion and promises. And even though he didn't understand, as we don't often, God did restore his wealth and family. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And in chapter 20, he cries out, cursed is the day on which I was born. But God strengthened Jeremiah when he turned to him. And the prophet continued in his work, prophesying, calling for repentance, even though not one person listened. Can you imagine being on your job for years and years and years and not having one productive day? Not one productive day, but being in obedience to God and you are pleasing to God because of that. Wow. Rebecca, as in with Isaac and Rebecca, she wanted to die because of the strife between her twin sons, Jacob and Esau. David hit a wall of despair and thought about death and thought death would be better than a life on the run from Saul. He ran from King Saul for 10 years, hiding in caves, running for his life. Just read the Psalms. It's full of his laments and poems about how miserable he was and in some cases wanted to die. Jonah got so angry at God because he actually was gonna do what Jonah preached and save the Ninevites when they repented. Jonah got so mad and bitter because he had hatred in his heart for the Ninevites. He didn't wanna go, remembering the whole whale thing, right? But God came through and he was so mad at God that he wanted to die. And then Elijah, arguably 
the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. When he was on the run from Jezebel in 1 Kings 19, he wanted to end his life out of sheer exhaustion. Can you feel that? Sheer exhaustion and fear and disappointment. Now, I give all of all those biblical examples because, first of all, I want to answer the question, what does the Bible say, right? But mostly because I want you to see how human these characters were. All of those people that I just talked about that struggled and contemplated suicide, these are not heathens. These are God-fearing people that God used powerfully. Keep that in your mind. Their stories are real. These are not fairy tales. These men and women, let me just say something. If, if it was a fairy tale, you wouldn't write it this way. Right? This is real. These men and women were real people with real problems and real emotions. And I would add to that, that some of them experienced true mental illness, mental health breakdowns. They just weren't diagnosed because they didn't have that back then. But humans have been the same since the beginning. Come on, humans are humans are humans. It doesn't matter when they lived. And when sin entered the world through Adam, so did physical ailments, including mental illness, including chemical imbalances and emotional stress. Come on. Ever since the fall of man, humanity has been dealing with a real enemy. Satan is not a metaphor. Satan is not a cartoon character. Satan is real. He's a fallen angel who hates your guts. He's already been defeated, but we give him so much power in our lives when he can speak these things. And if we're already struggling physically with something, with an imbalance or whatever's happening to us physically, he just takes advantage. He just wants to take you out. He doesn't care how. He doesn't care how, but he is defeated. But he's a real enemy. And we've been in these bodies, living in these bodies that are imperfect and susceptible to all manner of physical issues, including mental health issues. Most of these people I mentioned were experiencing extreme depression. What would be clinical depression today? Anxiety, a loss of hope, feelings of despair, hopelessness, just like what can happen with me? And just like what can happen with you. Now I'm going to deal with the second half of the question or the statement about the teachings and all of that. But first, let me just say again, if you are struggling this morning, if you are struggling with these things, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, fear, suicidal thoughts, please, please tell someone who loves you. Please. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. So now let's talk about suicide and sin. To determine if suicide is a sin, let's make sure we're on the same page with what a biblical definition of sin is. And Jesus gives us that in Mark 12, 29. And he says, Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. He's basically quoting Old Testament. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Come on, we, we're, we're to love the Lord. We're to worship God with every part of our being. Our physical body. That's why we lift our hands. Come on. That's why we sing out loud. That's why we kneel. We worship him with our physical body. That's why uh, we worship him with our soul, our mind. That's, that's our mind, our will, and our emotions. We worship God with our soul and we worship God with our spirit. That's the part of us that will live forever. And that's the part of us that God has resurrected us when we gave our heart to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 103, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Can we just stop right now? And I think it would be helpful in a sermon like this and just do that. Let's bless the Lord with everything. Come on. Hallelujah. Let's bless him. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, when you're feeling especially down and you're being attacked by the enemy, man, it never, ever, ever hurts just to stop and praise God. And then verse 31, Jesus has been talking about loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, the second is equally important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. So any action that violates these commands from Jesus is sinful. And we agree with that? So in other words, we can sin vertically against God and we can sin horizontally against our neighbor, against one another. Unlike sins of adultery or murder or theft or, uh, you know, all of these lists that Paul gives and the Old Testament gives, suicide is not explicitly mentioned that way in the Bible. Does that mean we'd leave it alone? No. We can logically break it down. That suicide is ending a human life. This is a sin against God as the creator of life. It also causes great suffering to the family, to the loved ones from that loss. And so that's a sin against our neighbor. Does that make sense? So if suicide is a sin and scripture would support that it is, can a professing Christian go to heaven if they take their own life? Reading between the lines, that's what this person is really asking. That's what they're asking. And they've been taught that absolutely not. This is one of the most controversial discussions we could ever have in all of Christendom. And it's not just controversial, though, it can become very personal, especially for those who have been touched by suicide in your family. I kind of feel like y'all are holding your breath for this next part. And trust me, I was holding my breath all week, preparing it. But let me just put your heart and mind at ease before I go any further. I'm not here to preach anybody into heaven or hell. That's not my job. But let me say this first, foundational. Look at the screen. Regardless of how a person dies, he or she must be born again to receive eternal life. 
So let's start there. That's John three, Jesus sitting down late at night with Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. That means your heart is transformed. Your heart is changed. It doesn't mean that this world doesn't affect things. Come on. But regarding our subject today, the word of God gives us a lot of hope. Look at the screen. The Bible does not say that a believer who commits suicide cannot go to heaven. It's not in there. It's not in there. It is not the unforgivable sin. Biblically speaking, there is only one unpardonable sin. Mark 3, 28, this is Jesus. He says, I tell you the truth, all sin. Somebody say all sin. All sin. All sin. And blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he, Jesus, is possessed by an evil spirit. So in context, Jesus makes this statement after the Pharisees accuse him of being able to cast out demons because he himself is demon possessed. And Jesus is like, you better time out right there because you're on the edge of something very dangerous. Look at the screen. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is giving credit to Satan for only what the Holy Spirit can do. And people have asked me numerous times, Pastor, if I, I, I don't know if I've done that. I'm worried I might have done that. I mean, maybe I did that. Maybe I was drunk and did that. Maybe I was high and did that. I don't know. How do I know if I've committed the unpardonable sin? It's very easy. If you're asking, you haven't. What do you mean, pastor? What I mean is people who have committed this sin, the Holy Spirit is no longer dealing with their heart. Their conscience has become seared and they have no possibility of repentance. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has stopped dealing with them and their sin. That's a dangerous place. But if you're asking the question, oh my God, then you ha the Holy Spirit is still dealing with you. And that's good news this morning. I feel the presence of the Lord. Suicide is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so biblically speaking, it can be forgiven. The pastor, wait. A Christian who takes their life may not have time to ask for forgiveness. Keyword, Christian, someone who knows the Lord may not have time to ask forgiveness. And so aren't they lost when they die? It's a dangerous theology. It's a dangerous theology. With that kind of belief system, our salvation becomes very fragile. The idea that I must remember every single infraction that I've ever committed, and if I miss just one, boom, sorry, in hell. I'm up on a ladder, I smash my finger with a hammer and I yell a cuss word and sin, fall off the ladder, die, sorry. I'm on 285. 
Jesus comes when I'm on 285, sorry. Can I submit to you that God is not up in heaven dangling our eternal life in front of us like a carrot, pulling it back when we sin and then putting it back down when we repent, playing the hokey hokey pokey, whatever that, back and forth. Come on, God will not tease us with our salvation. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, whom the son sets free is free indeed. But living under that, that fear, and legalism, that's not freedom. 1 John 2, 1, the apostle says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Hear your pastor, I'm not saying sin is not important and not dangerous. He's saying, I'm saying, I'm writing this so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, because guess what? Until heaven, we're gonna miss it. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous because my righteousness is as filthy rags. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. When you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, when you confess that you are a sinner in need of a savior, and when you declare that Jesus is that savior, that he is the Lord of your life, that he is the resurrected Messiah, God in the flesh, in that moment, all of your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future in Jesus' name. That's how powerful. Now, Let's flip the coin. Repentance is important. Repentance helps us recognize and deal, look in the mirror and deal with the sinful habits that are harmful in our life. Repentance helps in the restoration process between us and God or us and someone we've hurt or offended, sinned against. But our salvation does not depend upon remembering every infraction we've ever committed or the danger of us dying without the opportunity to pray and repent of X, Y, and Z. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If my salvation is dependent on me to do anything, other than offer my heart to the Lord and receive eternal life. If, if, my, if, if I'm involved at all, it's a works-based gospel and it negates the grace of God. My salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross from beginning to end. It's a work of God from beginning to end. It's God's grace at work in me. My salvation isn't fragile. If you're born again, your salvation isn't fragile. The work of Jesus on the cross is not fragile. The blood of Jesus is not weak. It's not anemic. The empty tomb testifies that my salvation is greater than death. Jesus came and conquered all of that mess. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has overcome sin. And he has the power to hold me safely in the palm of his hand. Now, some of you old school Pentecostals like me are worried right now. 
Not exactly how I heard it. All you Baptists are happy, happy, happy. <laughs> I was wrong. I get, got you. There's a little more humor in there. I want you to hear me clearly because you know better. I'm not advocating for greasy grace. I'm not advocating for saying a little lip service prayer in an altar and then going and living however you want because that's evidence you never met the Lord. We just had a study in James for crying out loud. He was very clear that kind of faith is not a saving faith. It's a dead faith. Sin is a big deal. Got quiet then. Sin, listen, can I teach just a second? Sin, I've got one yes, I'm going to go. Sin damages our relationship with the Lord. It sets us back. It sets back our progress. It sets back our confidence. It sets back our discipleship. It sets back our growth. Look at the screen. Sin hurts my relationship with God, but it does not change my status as his child. Come on, parents. Has your son or daughter ever hurt you? Don't laugh out loud. Has your son or daughter ever disappointed you? Has your son or daughter ever sinned against you? Of course they have. But as much as that relationship may have been damaged or hurt in that situation, it did not change the fact that they were your son or daughter. That never changes. So the word of God gives us hope. Somebody say hope. hope for a believer, a Christian who in a moment that they are overcome in a moment that they are not in their right mind, a moment that they're struggling with mental illness, with depression, not thinking clearly, a believer who in that moment of weakness decides to take a permanent solution for a temporary problem. It's very sad, but it gives us hope. I'm taking a class right now in my doctoral work, a counseling class. I'm learning just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> this week, here's another coincidence that's not. This week, the whole module about suicide. Are you kidding me? And as part of the lesson, we had to watch a TED talk about a young man. He got up and talked. He's probably 30 now. And when he was in middle, middle school, once in middle school, once in high school, attempted suicide and would have succeeded the second time he was on a bridge and let go and somebody came. But he said something that I'll never forget about what he was feeling in that moment and in that time period in his life. And it was mental illness. But what he said was, he said, I was experiencing a collapsed perspective. I didn't get this on the screen. Collapsed perspective. All of us have a perspective of life, right? How we see life and it's hopefully kind of broad because we can see many options. Even in the worst of times, we can see. Now, when something really drastic happens, bad in our life, maybe we lose a job, there's a death in the family, something drastic, we all experience a collapse, don't we? Where things get really narrow and then through counseling and time and the Lord, that begins to open back up. 
But with some people, it doesn't. And he said, I was living my life with this collapsed perspective and it got so, it got so narrow that the only relief, the only thing I could see, the only possibility I could see was suicide. So I say that to say this, be careful with your judgments. Be careful with your black and white statements, especially those of us that are wired that way. Especially if you've never been there, especially if you've never experienced this or walked with someone who has. Now, I'm almost done, but I hope you know that I'm not advocating or justifying the act of suicide. It is never the answer. If you're here and that's a struggle and you, 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 when I said collapse perspective and that just hit you, it's not the answer. You may not see it, but I'm telling you it's not the answer. But judging someone's soul is not our job. Our job is to love people and lead them to the feet of Jesus. I want to end with some promises of hope and healing. Is that good? For those of, of, of you who are watching or listening later that are struggling with depression or some other form of stress or mental illness, maybe this message hit really close to you today because this is you. This is your life. This is your struggle right now. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. Again, Satan just wants to take you out. He doesn't care how. But Jesus, I, Jesus, have come that you might have life. Somebody say life. Somebody shout life. Have life in that you may have it more abundantly. Can I prophesy, I'm not being weird, but can I prophesy over you today? Can I prophesy this? You will live. You will live and not die. You will live. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That means you're not just surviving, you're thriving in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, bless the Lord. Somebody give God praise. You might have life. Life in Jesus. Life in Jesus' name. Life in Jesus' name. You have life in Jesus' name. Well, bless him. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on, praise him. Well, bless him in this house. Just stay standing. I had more notes, but I'm not so stupid to know what the Holy Spirit is doing. <sighs> Can I pray for anybody today that just is, maybe you're struggling in your mind. Would you come please right now? Don't, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate.
Yeah, just come up right against the, the stage. That would be fantastic. Oh, hallelujah. Those of you who have gathered up here, look at me real quick. Look at me. There's no easy button. There's no wand that I can wave and suddenly, and I can't do anything, but Christ in me is the hope of glory. He's the hope of heaven. He's the hope of, a, of eternal life. He is, he is the grace that can help you. I can't do anything, but God can. In the body of Christ, in the support system that he gives us, it can. And so my instruction before we pray is that you have to decide to give yourself over to that. Let yourself be helped. Don't bottle it in. Don't keep it inside. Don't let it just stay in your mind, but let it be on the outside. Let the pride fall. Let that, let that wall come down in Jesus name. Let that pride come down and just be willing to ask for help and to spend time with those who love you and will listen to you. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's seeking help. Jesus loves you. And the people, your family, they love you. Let them love you. Let them in. Let them care for you. Let Jesus care for you through them. If this is a burden on your heart, what I've preached today, I want you to come and stand behind these right now. Come on. Move quickly. Just stand behind each one. The rest of you, just stretch your hand this way. We're going to lift up our brothers and sisters. We're going to believe God to remove the veil of heaviness and darkness and exchange it for his light and his goodness and his mercy. I want you to pray out loud, please. Help me pray. Help me pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for each one of these as I lay my hands. I pray your light and your glory would fill them. Your hope and your goodness would explode in their mind and in their heart, in their soul, in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, by the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah, we're obedient today. We're obedient today. We let the wall of pride crumble in Jesus' name. Lord, we give our heart to you today, new and fresh. We believe on you today for hope, for life, for victory. We believe, Lord. We believe in Jesus' name. I pray for your light to come in, your light to come in, your glory to come in, your glory to come in, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name your hope to come in for life, for life, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for life in my brother today. I pray for life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Break down the walls. Life in Jesus' name. And by the power of your Spirit, we're believing, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just stay. If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, 
Thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.